Please remain standing for the reading of today's epistle lesson from the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, verses 16 through 21, from the New International Version. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, and the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ and not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Please be seated. Thank you, Dr. Hancock, for reading our lesson this morning. And we are so, so grateful to have Carolyn Hancock with us, who we are in partnership with in South Africa. Uh, she has been here many times before, and we look forward to many times from now on as well. Uh, we look forward to a banquet that's happening for our South Africa ministry partnership this Thursday. And I want to say a word of thanks, Carolyn, to you for your leadership and for being with us today, and to all of you. Uh, who support now 430 of our students in South Africa at three different schools. We're so grateful for the blessing that we share uh, with the team from South Africa, and it's always a blessing to have Carolyn with us, uh, who is actually really from the deep south, more so than us, South Africa. Uh, and my goodness, what a choir today, huh? It's incredible. Oh. We, we have children of all ages up here in the choir loft today, and it's wonderful, uh, particularly to have our Nashville Children's Choir and to have parents, family members, siblings of our Nashville Children's Choir. Uh, you are welcome here, and we are so thankful for you, for your presence, for your music, and the way God has blessed us through you today. Samantha, where's Samantha? One of our directors who's there. I don't know who the other guy was, but he was good too. Uh, <laughs> James Wells, as a matter of fact, our own. Uh, thank you to all of you. We're grateful to you. We are blessed with marvelous musicians, and uh, we're so grateful that you all are part or a part of us uh, on this particular day. And welcome as well to our online audience. Always grateful to be with you. Today is World Communion Sunday, as you have heard. And so we'll be gathering after the message at the table with Christians literally from all over the world on the first Sunday of October. Uh, today is the first day of October, and it will be our privilege to receive God's mercy and grace in tangible form uh, as we come after the message. If you've been here the last few weeks, you would know, if you're visiting today, let me set you up for where we are. We're in our fourth week of a series entitled Called Together, 
of course, which coincides with our capital campaign with renovations and repurposing that we're making, which Commitment Sunday, I'll remind you, is October the 15th, and we just happen to have some pledge cards that will be available for that day, and we're inviting you to prayerfully consider a three-year capital pledge beyond our tithes and offerings to the future ministry, particularly in the lives of, of children. As we're doing this, as we're thinking about repurposing physical space, we're also thinking about repurposing spiritual space in our lives as we seek out, as we seek to continue to live out the mission of Christ to the world. To date, we have talked about the fact that we are called together to worship, first of all, that's primary. We've talked about the fact that praise is our native tongue. It is not complaint, kvetching, lamentation that is our native language. It's praise from the beginning. And then last week, we talked about the fact that we're called together to do spiritual formation. That is, not only to be a disciple of Jesus, but to disciple others who are seeking to follow Jesus. But this morning, I'm going to try to be very brief with you for just a few minutes because I think that we're called together as a body to be about the ministry of reconciliation. Now, I love that word. It's three times in the text, Carolyn, that you read for us. It's a difficult Greek word to pronounce. Katalage, katalage is the word which literally means restored harmony, restored favor. Now, I don't have to tell you that because of our sin, because of our sinful nature, we cannot restore ourselves to God, not alone. But then we don't have to because God has accomplished this for us. How? Through the life, death, and resurrection of God's Son, of Jesus. In fact, Psalm uh, verse 18 in the text that Carolyn read says as much, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, not counting our sins against us. That's an important line. I don't know about you, but I have a problem sometimes reminding people of their sins. You don't have that problem, but, but some of us have that problem. I read the other day that, that some bring joy wherever they go, some whenever they go. But this is from God. We're better at reminding people of their sins than forgiving them their sins, but this is not so with God. This is the good news. Psalm 103, verse 12 says, listen, as far as the east is from the west, so far God has removed our transgressions from us. Or how about Romans 5, verse 8 but God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Reconciliation is the work of God. It's also interesting to me that that Greek word not only means restored favor, but it also means exchange. God has exchanged God's righteousness for our sin. 
In fact, did you notice that last verse that Carolyn read? God made him who had no sin to be sin for us that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What an exchange out of love. If you read just prior to the text that Carolyn read for us, you'll see Paul says in verse 15 that Christ died for all. Not for some, not for a remnant, (laughs) not for the good. No, this is universal. Christ died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. You see, I've italicized that phrase, no longer. You see that. There are three no longers in this text, which are kind of indicative of a before and after situation that occurs when God's favor is restored in our lives. There are three things that no longer occur. And I want to mention them briefly. The first is this. When we live in restored harmony with God, when we're reconciled to God, we no longer live for ourselves. In other words, there is a death to self that happens when you follow Jesus. This is in our baptism liturgy, by the way, that when a child or an adult is baptized, we, say, we speak of them as dying to themselves and rising to live for Christ. So the self-centered life through reconciliation is replaced by the Christ-centered life. I think of Paul's words in Philippians 2. Listen to this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. But in humility, regard others as better than yourselves. Ooh, I don't know if I can do that. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but to the interest of others. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself. And that's what happens when reconciliation comes about. I think it was Mother Teresa who said, Unless a life is lived for others, it's not really worthwhile. And that's true. I was reflecting on a section of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount this week, and that occurs in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. But there's a text in Matthew 5, 23 and 24 that's intriguing to me. This is what it says. Jesus speaking. When you're offering your gift at the altar... (laughs) If you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift at the altar. Go first and be reconciled to your sister or brother and then come back and offer your gift. Now, that's intriguing to me because it sounds to me like Jesus is saying that human relationships are more important than divine worship. But actually what he's saying is They are two sides of the same coin. Love of God, love of neighbor. It is hard. I don't know if you've ever found this to be true, but I have. It is hard to worship God when you are at odds with your neighbor. 
Now, invariably, in the three services that we've had today, someone, some couple on their way to church had heated fellowship on the way here. (laughs) I used to call it an argument, but now we call it heated fellowship. And I don't know if you've had this experience or not, but I have. It is so hard to praise God when I'm at odds with you. It is almost impossible for me to worship God freely when I'm holding a grudge against somebody else. That's why we start all worship with the passing of the what? Peace. That's why we, we start that way. It's not just a routine. It's not a passive gesture. It's a bold act of declaring to everyone in the house and in the world that reconciliation is happening here in this place, with your neighbor, person in front and behind, beside, with all of our distinctions and differences, we're passing the peace, shalom, well-being. We are reconciled by God's grace. I've read a book called The Anatomy of Peace. It's put out by the Arbinger Institute. There's a wonderful quote there that says this. Listen to this. When our hearts are at war, We not only invite failure, we invest in it. We invest in our own emotion. God help us. There's a question I have learned to ask myself. Whenever I'm feeling bothered by you or by someone else, this is my question. Am I holding myself to the same standard that I'm demanding of you? And the answer is usually, uh uh-uh. Somebody said to me the other day, nothing so needs reforming as other people's bad habits. There's a second no longer that comes in this text. Verse 16, because of reconciliation with God, I will no longer regard others from a worldly point of view. What does that mean? One translation says, I will no longer judge you by the flesh, I will no longer regard you by human standards or by external appearances. Oh, but we do. (laughs) We often do. So oftentimes when you're asked to describe another person, we begin with characteristics like nationality, race, class, creed, social status, gender, orientation, political perspective, theological slant. But there is no genuine Christian community that can be created by mere human standards. Defining one another in this way leads to tribalism, which leads to disunity. A tribal mind is a troubled mind. And besides, it's not the outside that matters. It's what's on the inside. That's what matters to God. When I think about the inside, I think of Samuel the prophet. You remember in the Old Testament, Samuel the prophet, the old prophet was searching Israel to find a new king to replace Saul, who was in trouble. He was led by God to Jesse's house. He knew that Jesse had a a quiver of children. He had eight boys and a couple of girls, and so Samuel went to Jesse's house and asked about the boys, searching for a king. And Samuel brought out Eliab, Abinadab, Shema, 
and seven of his boys. He brought them all, paraded them before Samuel, and Samuel was unimpressed. In fact, the Bible doesn't say this, but this is the revised chapel version that Samuel looked at Jesse and said, is that all you got? And Jesse said, well, there, oh, there is, there's one other, but you don't need to see him. He's the runt of the litter. He's the baby of the family. In fact, we got him out tending sheep. Knowing you were coming, you wouldn't want to see him. And Samuel said, bring him in. And when little David walked in to the parlor, Samuel knew, that's my guy. His daddy and brothers were stunned, and I'm sure that the brothers were angry. Explain yourself, they said. And the prophet said, the problem is we look on the outer appearance, but God looks on the heart. Did you know that at one, one time, Paul, the apostle, the leader of the church in the later first century, actually evaluated Jesus by human standards? When he thought of Jesus, he saw one who was poor and lowly of humble social position, one who associated with people of questionable character, one who was, who was not liked by the synagogue, by the, by the church, and who appealed to the ignorant and oppressed, and Paul made it his business because of human standards to wipe out the gospel movement until that road to Damascus when he met Jesus face to face and human standards went out the window. In fact, he would write to the church in Corinth in his first letter, not many of you who have received Christ are wise, not many of you are rich, not many of you are of noble birth, and that's because God chooses the foolish things of this world, the weak things, the things that are not to shame the wise. When you're reconciled to God, you will no longer use worldly standards to distinguish. In fact, here's an idea. The next time you're asked to describe someone who doesn't measure up according to your standards, why don't we just say, hey, He's someone for whom Christ died. She's someone for whom Christ died. That's what makes us valuable. Finally, the text makes clear that because of reconciliation with God, we are no longer merely recipients of restored favor. We are agents of reconciliation. God has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. You're ordained for it. You're anointed for it. We are therefore Christ, what? Ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, which he is. I love that word ambassador. It's a diplomat who is appointed by a higher authority by a sovereign who is sent by a country as an official representative to a foreign land. An ambassador is a personal envoy sent by the head of state, not to represent himself, but to represent the head of state. An ambassador is one who represents the values, culture, and policies of her homeland. 
So when an American ambassador speaks, her voice is the voice of America. The honor of the country is in the ambassador's presence. It's in our hands. In fact, the ambassador's country is judged by his behavior and her conduct. And so it is with ambassadors of Christ. Now, if that scares you, I mean it to. It does me. It is a blessed privilege to be an ambassador for Jesus and a terrifying responsibility that anyone based on my presence would evaluate the church or even who Jesus is. That's a privilege and a terrifying responsibility. Let me give you one example and I'm through. Anybody know the name John Ed Matheson from L.A., that is Lower Alabama? He was 30-plus years the pastor of Fraser Memorial uh, Church in Montgomery, Alabama, a friend of Sherry and mine. John Ed tells the story of visiting a fourth-grade Sunday school class at his church between services on a Sunday morning. He said, I was waiting my turn to speak to the kids when I noticed on the desk where I came in a small replica of our church. It was made, I don't know who made it, but handmade of porcelain in some regard and was placed at the table near the door. And he said, I picked it up while I was waiting to speak and just started examining this model church. And I discovered that there was a little slit in the top of it. It was a bank made in the image of our church. And the children were in the habit, they'd come into Sunday school and they'd drop their dime or quarter, nickel, in the Sunday school offering in the top of the church as they came to class. And John Ed said, I was just about to speak. I was holding that church, that bank, and looking at it when a little fourth grade girl ran up to me and said, Dr. Matheson, be careful. You've got our church in your hands. He said, I've never been able to shake that from my mind a fourth grader telling me as the pastor to be careful. You've got the church in your hands, and so do you. This is the task of an ambassador, not just to hold the church in your hands, but to be the hands of Christ in the world in ways that actually restore the favor of God and reconcile others. Last word, and I mean it this time. Margaret Cropper wrote a little song that's in our hymn book. Don't look for it. It goes like this. Jesus' hands were kind hands, doing good to all healing pain and sickness, blessing children small, washing tired feet and saving those who fall. Jesus' hands were kind hands, doing good to all. Last verse. Take my hands, Lord Jesus. Let them work for you. 
Make them strong and gentle, kind in all I do. Let me watch you, Jesus, till I'm gentle too, till my hands are kind hands, quick to work for you. You're an ambassador. May it be so, in Jesus' name.